Welcome to Piri Pari Over, the podcast for people, teams, and organizations seeking practical ideas for results and greater happiness. I'm your host, Stephen Martini. Let's pause, learn, and move on. Piri Pari Over is brought to you by Align, A-L-Y-G-N dot company. Hello, everyone. I'm Stephen, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Piri Pari Over. Life sometimes is exceptionally challenging, and moments of darkness can be great lessons for ourselves and others. In this episode, we will discuss that being of service to others allow us to matter. Our guest today is Andy Frick, owner and founder of A Place to Be Recovery Housing. Andy has a background in positive psychology and has provided a place where people recovering from substance abuse feel they belong. So without further ado, let's welcome Andy Frick to Pity Party Over. When you don't work, what do you do to mm. relax, to center yourself? Well, one, I play a lot of soccer. Not the most common American response, but uh, I, I play quite a bit of soccer. Always did growing up and still a, a great way to connect with others and uh, get some physical activity in, which I'm sure I know I could certainly use more of. And then I, I really enjoy fishing. So I, I found out over the past, I don't know, maybe five, 10 years that I really enjoy fishing, especially just being in nature in general, you know, walking outdoors, all that jazz. But fishing has become a passion of mine. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Akron, Ohio, where unfortunately there's not a whole lot of fishing opportunities. <laughs> so there's more here to offer than I had originally thought, but mostly Akron is pretty much known for, well, if you're uh, a little bit later in life, you might know it from being the, the rubber capital of the world at, at some point. If you're a bit younger, you probably know it from LeBron James. And that's about the extent of <laughs> Akron's notoriety. Have you ever thought about moving elsewhere? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I have. Since I started going to Florida for vacation as a child, I had always dreamt of not having to deal with the cold winters of Ohio. Fortunately, life is taking me that way, and I am moving to Miami here in uh, about a month's time. So oh, For real? Oh, wow. Yes, yes. So it'll be uh, uh, quite a change. How did you get to where you are professionally? So really, my, my life experience guided me to this passion of wanting to help others in some way, shape, or form, right? I've been driven by service for the, the past 10 years or so, and it, it wasn't always the case. So I look back to my experiences growing up. I struggled to find meaning, purpose, a sense of belonging and mattering, connection to others, some of the things that are fulfilling in life, those struggles kind of led me to some dark places. I think it was in the process of change that I experienced for myself, that transition from some of those darker places to experiencing some of those things I just described where, where I had a sense of belonging and mattering, purpose and meaning, mostly through service to others that really sparked my interest in helping others to experience that same thing for themselves. I found myself having a, a, a lack of all of these things, then experiencing them in my life, and then asking that question of, okay, how can I help others to have the same experience? Where, where am I needed 
to best help others experience well-being in their lives? For many, many, many years in the past, I looked at those experiences as mistakes. Mm. And only later on in life, I realized, well, probably they really had a purpose because if they did not happen, I would not be where I am. And most likely, I would not have developed the type of sensitivity that I have. Do you think you would have gotten to where you are if you hadn't experienced such darkness? No, I, I certainly don't. And I'll kind of talk about it in, in two different ways. The, the one is something you touched on. You know, it's funny. I was speaking with a professor of mine, Dr. James Powelski from the University of Pennsylvania. And this was after I graduated from my master's program there. I was looking at the application process for PhD programs. And I was struggling to find to trust the process and, and have faith that, you know, things will work out as they're supposed to. And it's something that I've grown to to share with others. But when I needed it, I couldn't find it. Right. And it, it was funny because he he shared with me how we can't really engage in the process of sense making until we're further down the road looking back on our lives. And in the moment, it's hard to explain to ourselves why things are happening the way they're happening. Um, we can't quite see the whole picture just yet. But when we find ourselves a little bit further down the road and we look back on our lives, kind of like you were describing, and, and my experience has been as well, uh, we, we can make sense of things and we can connect the dots and we can see, well, maybe there was some greater purpose to why this happened, that happened, or I end up in this place or or whatever the case may be for each individual. And for me in particular, so my work has been in the uh, addiction and recovery space. And when I refer to these dark places, for myself, it was addiction. So I'm in recovery myself, and I had experienced active addiction. I certainly don't feel that, you know, that's maybe a more specific case, but I've likely not ended up working in that field had it not been for my experiences. But more broadly, I still think that holds true for some of my other life experiences. You know, again, you don't notice it in the moment, but when you look back on your life, you recognize that, okay, I, I mean, perhaps I needed to endure whatever it was that I experienced so that I could, you know, maybe be the light for the next person, right? And, and I think it, it does something for yourself, right? I, I found some self-fulfillment in experiencing those hardships and finding myself on the other side. When I experienced darkness, for me was the result of a series of really unfortunate events. At some point, I experienced depression, which is something that I never had before. It really feels like all happiness has been sucked out of yourself. When you realize that, it's too late. You know, I call depression the invisible assassin. The one thing that helped me out was the realization that the people that really loved me couldn't care less about me being successful or not, all they wanted me is to be happy. So the question to you is, if we have someone that is in a dark place, for whatever the reason, and is trying to cope with that heaviness, whichever way, what would you say that could be the first step that we can take? Yeah, that, that is something I've certainly dealt with in the addiction recovery space in particular, right? So I, I find myself working with typically younger men as they're transitioning from inpatient treatment facilities and taking that next step in their recovery process. Oftentimes, I find myself having conversations with their family. The family is, of course, uh, like any of us would, looking for ways that they can 
help fix the problem, right? And, and that's what we want to do for each other. We want to find ways that we can relieve the pain for our loved ones, that we can help them to feel okay and, and fix the things that they're dealing with. The unfortunate reality, especially with addiction, and I think this translates well to other areas of life, is that there's only so much we can do as the loved one. We typically can't take away their pain or change their problems or uh, make their, their situation go away. And in fact, I actually think we would be robbing them of a necessary process of life if we were able to play God, so to speak, anyway. But we can't. We're powerless over them and, and the circumstance. And the best thing we can do, in my experience, is, is to love them, love them unconditionally through that process. And that can look a little different depending on the situation, but most of the time, it simply means letting them know that you're there and available and that you care. And that's about where the extent of our responsibilities end, right? It's about as far as we can go is, hey, if you need something, I'm here for you. I love you. I support you through this process. I'm willing to do whatever I can to help. But beyond that, there's not much we can do for that individual in that circumstance. I think especially in, in the addiction area, parents in particular have to find a balance between that love and not enabling the individual further, right? So that's kind of overstepping our responsibilities and kind of what I was talking about earlier, a little bit of robbing the individual the, the opportunity to experience the pain required to initiate change. Yeah, my experience has been just that. We love them unconditionally. We support wherever possible. And we recognize where our responsibility ends. And that's important. I don't think that's something we talk about very often in supporting each other through these places in life. One thing I want to ask you, it happened to me in the past to deal with people that were trying to cope with that deep pain, different ways. You know, it could be alcohol, it could be substance abuse, whatever there was. And I love when you say that you should not deprive them from the possibility of going through their, their journey. When you are in the situation as someone close to someone going through so much pain, and at some point you realize that is hurting you, that relationship is actually hurting you, how do you find balance between loving someone but also taking care of yourself? You know, sometimes loving someone means separating ourselves from that individual. Somewhat similar to the situation you described in your own life, we recognize that in order to love somebody appropriately, we have to love ourselves appropriately as well. When we're focusing on trying to help somebody else, that's fantastic. And of course, I've found that to be tremendously fulfilling in my own life. But I find that one, I'm less equipped to do so when I'm not taking care of myself. And two, I might not being as effective as I could be when I'm not taking care of myself. Taking care of ourselves might leave us with that awakening that says, unfortunately, there's not much I can do. And this is creating more harm in my life than good I'm doing for this individual. And in the end, when you do that, the relationship suffers regardless, right? So we find ourselves fighting to try and fix something that we cannot fix. We're harming ourselves. And in the end, we're actually probably doing more damage to the situation than good, right? At what point does each individual come to that realization? And at what point is that in each specific situation? I can't say, right? It's different for each situation that we find ourselves in. For me, one of the best ways I've found is to make sure I have other people with me in the process so I can feel supported in my own 
process because these are challenging times for us as well as the individual. So when I have people I can trust and that I love that are close in my life, it's important that I include them in that process as well. So they can help check me and say, hey, you know, this might be taking a bit too much from you and we're worried about you as well, right? Um, and that's important to have. You know, now I'm thinking about from the point of view, the person who's going through that, I did not experience, you know, substance addiction, but I definitely experienced super dark places. One thing that was really hard for me for many, many, many years was the sense of shame. Like I could not even verbalize what I was going through to people because there was so much shame and feeling that way and thinking, I wonder what people are going to feel or going to think if I said that and the tremendous amount of um, pain that I would give to people that I love. And so as a result, I would not say anything to anyone until finally I decided to speak up. So for you, when you experienced that dark place, what was the first time that you started seeing a glimpse of something else? What did you do? There's somewhat of a, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a cliche or a phrase that gets used in the recovery community. We talk about desperation and we consider it the gift of desperation. It's an interesting phrase because oftentimes I don't think individuals or anybody really would consider desperation to be a gift. But in these circumstances, I think eventually we find ourselves in a place where we're so desperate for something different than what we're experiencing that we're willing to make the change, right? So we find ourselves in desperate situations and the pain we're experiencing is powerful enough to invite a process of change. Again, this process is different for each individual, but in my own experience, that's exactly what happened. I found myself at the end of the road. Um, I had burned many bridges. I was 19 years old and I was homeless. I was pretty much in a about as dark a place as I could have ever imagined my life being. The level of desperation that I experienced was enough for me to say, I don't even think I, I had this process of considering some of those things of, of I don't want to ask for help, so to speak. It was more so everything became fueled by desperation and I was willing to do anything it took to experience something different in life. Now, that's an extreme case, right? Like that's not everybody's experience. I don't think everybody does find themselves in a place of desperation quite like that, or the degree of desperation might be different, but I still think there's commonalities that we can experience no matter what it is that we're experiencing. And everybody's bottom is unique to them, right? It doesn't mean that everybody has to go to the places I went to experience this sense of desperation. We can experience it in our day-to-day -day lives. I, I look at things like in my life today, trying to exercise, right? And I, I might find myself really struggling to get the ball rolling. And I don't want to tell people how difficult it is for me to just go to the gym. And at a certain point, I become so fed up with the circumstances that I become desperate for change. And I invite other people in to help me in that process. I say, hey, man, look, I've, I've really been making an attempt to go to the gym regularly, but I can't seem to get myself to go. And just inviting somebody else into that process starts that process of change for me. And now I've got some accountability. For my specific experience, that point of desperation was, was the eye opener that I kind of needed that began that transition to the recovery process. Were there any particular people, special person that somehow has been instrumental to your journey? 
so many, it's impossible to discuss them all. I'm immensely grateful for the people I have in my life. It's made my life incredibly rich and meaningful. In particular, my mom certainly deserves an immense amount of credit for one, enduring all the stuff that she had to endure through those times, loving me unconditionally as I went through my process of change. And, and that extends to the rest of my family and some close friends as well. But my mom in particular comes to mind and has always been a, a supporter and cheerleader for me all throughout, all the way until today. It's really uh, been an incredible relationship born out of some of the trials and tribulations we face together. So your mom sounds really cool. <laughs> Absolutely. She is. She is. She's a fantastic, fantastic human being. So thank you. If I remember correctly, both you and your mom, you are deeply interested in appreciative inquiry. So for those who are going to listen to this episode, appreciative inquiry is a method of change, which is based on um, strengths. It is the notion that we can transition faster if we focus on existing strengths rather than um, obsessing about how to fix an issue. Uh, how did you get interested in appreciative inquiry? The rebellious kid that I was never wanted to listen to my mom growing up. My mom really did some incredible work with appreciative inquiry and the folks at Case Western University, Dr. Cooperwriter, Dr. Fry, Dr. Godwin. You've spoke with Dr. Lindsay Godwin, fantastic human being. But um, nonetheless, so she, she had experienced some incredible work first at Roadway and then um, some work with the U.S. Navy. And so she had shared these experiences with me at different points throughout my life. And I was reluctant to listen to what she was talking about. Of course, I had to find my own path. I actually, I found myself reading the book Flourish by Dr. Seligman. That was sort of my introduction to positive psychology. And it was the gateway to appreciative inquiry as well. I remember reading this, coming to my mom and saying, wow, look at this. This is incredible. Look at these overlaps to my life experience. How interesting, the science of well-being and how have I not known about this, right? And my mom says, yeah, I've only been telling you about appreciative inquiry and positive psychology for the past 20 years. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you haven't. And uh, sure, she she surely had been, but... I was reluctant to listen because I didn't want to hear it coming from my mom. That was sort of the gateway to that experience, finding out about appreciative inquiry. Yeah. Did she get into appreciative inquiry because of you or other stuff? No, she, she worked at Roadway. They worked with some of the folks at Case. They brought appreciative inquiry into Roadway as a uh, change method. That was her first introduction, I believe. How did you come across the concept of mattering? You mentioned that before. My experience growing up was interesting. I felt as though I never truly had this sense of belonging or what you know I, I would now define as mattering, and we'll talk about in a second. I never felt as though I was truly connected to others, and I felt I was somewhat yearning for that sense of connection. I touched on the fact that I experienced addiction and then found myself in, in recovery when I was 19 years old. And at this transitional phase in my life, I found myself being of service to others in the recovery process. And more specifically, I, I found that 
one of the best methods that was shared with me from other folks in the recovery community about change was to give of yourself to others. And in doing so, we might experience some things for ourselves. And, and what I mean more specifically is when I found myself inviting others into the group, helping others to feel as though they belonged, I experienced belonging for myself. When I found myself accepting and loving others unconditionally, I started to experience those things for myself. For the first time in most of my life, maybe my whole life, I found that sense of belonging that I was always looking for. I started to find purpose and meaning through service work to others and, and helping other folks feel like they mattered and belonged as well. Fast forward a bit and I found myself reading Flourish. I have these conversations with my mom. Eventually, this leads me to applying to the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. I didn't think I had a great chance of getting in, to be completely honest with you. The interview process went very well. I really connected with the faculty and folks I got to speak to before I was accepted into the program. I really just felt called to this program and, and like this was the place for me to go. And I was determined that if I did not get in, I would just be applying again the next time around. Fortunately, I did get accepted. I found a tremendously welcoming and inviting community of people and academics in that master's program. And that is where I was exposed to the idea of mattering scientifically. So we, in our first semester in the program, we had a guest lecture, Dr. Isaac Prilatensky. He spoke to us about mattering amongst many other things. But one of the ones that truly captivated me was mattering. He described mattering as this experience of adding value and feeling valued. And that can occur in a few different domains uh, with the individual, with others in our work, in our community. He shared about the science of mattering. I found myself recalling all these experiences in life and realizing how valuable mattering had been to me when I was one, not experiencing it growing up. And then that transitional phase in my life, when I started to experience what he was describing as mattering, I was like, wow. So, you know, this, this engagement and, and, and adding value to the lives of others and then feeling valued by a group allowed me to feel like I was truly a part of and belonged and had meaning and purpose and, you know, all these other wellness outcomes. I was captivated by his presentation. It became something that I referenced quite a bit as I went through the program. Time and time again, I found myself turning to his work using it in my papers. Actually, after graduating, I circled back and I had an incredible conversation with Dr. Prilatensky, which led me to applying to the, the University of Miami's PhD program. That's what is uh, sparking this, this move to Miami. So I was accepted into the PhD program at the University of Miami and we'll be working with Dr. Prilatensky come this, this fall. So, uh, and I thought you were going for the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sun doesn't hurt. I'm excited about that as well. <laughs> well, congratulations, Andy. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You said um, feeling valued and valued. In my job, I come across very often with people saying, I do not matter. I feel that in this organization, I'm just a number. I'm not heard. If someone feels that way, what could it be the first step to feel mm -hmm. that you matter? My experience has been that 
in order to experience something such as mattering, and I think this goes for a lot of other areas, love, acceptance, etc., the best pathway I have found for myself and that seems to have worked for others that I've worked with is to first find ways to give those things to others. When I find ways to help someone else feel as though they matter, I in turn experience mattering for myself. I think that that has been a key factor in what has allowed me to experience some of the, the richness of relationships throughout my life. First focusing on how can I add value to the life of somebody else? And in turn, that has allowed me to feel valued. That's really at the core of experiencing some of these things that we might be missing. I've heard people say they don't feel accepted, they don't feel loved, um, some of these things. And the first thing that we can look to do is find an opportunity to love others, find an opportunity to accept others. It's been my experience that that has allowed me to feel accepted, loved, welcomed, and as though I belong as a result. One of the early thoughts that I had uh, when I was finally stepping out from this darkness was this thought, which is, I think, connected to what you're saying. I thought, if I can learn something from this, maybe this could be useful for someone in the future. And to these days, I'm always amazed when people come to me with specific questions about stuff that I blatantly f failed. <laughs> like, why would you ask me? Oh, because you know how it feels, you know how it is, you know how, how it feels to be with your ass on the ground. So I'm asking you that because you went there. That's one of the beautiful things about going through rough experiences. They become a tremendous treasure for yourself, but not just for yourself, also for others. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that deeply resonates with me as well. How did you come up with the idea for a place to be recovery? Really, it was born out of a lot of what we just described. I actually started it with a friend of mine in the Akron area. I think there were two key factors that led us to start a place to be recovery housing. And the first of which was just the need in the Akron area and worldwide, really, for that matter. Addiction is obviously everywhere has been immensely challenging to deal with for our, our communities and our loved ones. Having a safe, drug-free environment to begin the process of recovery, we felt was an extremely valuable component that we could add to our community and help others as they embark on this journey of change. And I think there were limited opportunities for individuals to have that safe place to go home, be away from some of the people, places, and things that they were around previously when they were in active addiction. Coupled with that was my personal experience of being homeless when I was 19. And it was a, a short-lived period of time, but it doesn't take many days of being homeless for it to really sink in on you. And um, it was that that made me want to be a part of something that could provide housing for recovering addicts as they're transitioning from inpatient treatment facilities. So those were at the core of our interests um, when we first got started. And I don't think we knew a whole lot of what we were getting into. And uh, we approached it with an open mind and we asked for help from our community. And, and then I was later exposed to some of these other concepts uh, in appreciative inquiry and positive psychology and how these could be influential on, on promoting well-being for the recovering addicts within our program. 
when I read um, the difference between a place to go and a place to be, I smiled. So I think I understand what you mean, but would you mind explaining what that means to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think simply put, folks could find themselves in a circumstance leaving a treatment facility, and oftentimes they need a place to go. That could be from requirements to be fulfilled by the courts or other fulfillments they might need to meet, whatever the the case may be. Oftentimes, folks just need a place where they can go. We found it more important to provide a place to be where people can feel as though they belong, that they're a part of something meaningful, um, where they're in a group that cares about them and where they can add value and feel value, right? Terminology I didn't know at the time, but later became relevant. We really set out with the intention of providing a place to be rather than just a place to go. Based on anything that you have learned so far, you're still so young. <laughs> uh, when uh, you go through a rough time, for whatever the reason, what do you do to get out of it? Hmm. I find that I am in a very fortunate situation in life today. This wasn't always the case where I could lean into those around me. Over the course of the past nine or 10 years, I have been able to apply much of what we just talked about. And that has led me to experience richness in relationships and develop trust with others. Thankfully, I have a support group of family, friends that I feel I can turn to in these trying times. Most of the time, I think I do well of turning to those people. However, sometimes I find myself in some of those dark places that we talk about and having that experience we described earlier where you don't quite want to, or you're just not ready to allow other people into that process. There's a couple things that have worked for me in that space. One is just time. And unfortunately, as terrible as that might be in some of the circumstances we find ourselves in, allowing things, the time required to pass has been an important tool in my process. Sometimes I just have to sit with my feelings and experience my experiences and recognize that eventually these things passed. And, and fortunately for me in my own life, I can turn back to past experiences and say, look, we've been through this and this will pass too. There are brighter days ahead. I don't know when, I don't know how. If I sit and let things pass, eventually things pass. The other is turning to ways to help others. I have found that to be a freeing experience for myself. You know, sometimes I think in order to get the relief we seek, maybe it's best to seek ways to help provide relief for others, right? If I can help to serve others, then in turn, I might experience benefits to my own personal well-being in some way, shape, or form. That's been the action piece, the piece that I can, I can turn to and say, if I am feeling bad, I'm feeling down, I'm stuck in self-pity, I'm in the pity party, how do I end this? How do I get through this? Well, let's turn to action. What's the action? Let's help somebody else. And that's, that usually starts the process. Today, I felt a bit weird, you know, this morning particularly. And so my method today to pity party over, I would say is piggyback from you. Like talking to you is so energizing. So being the company of people that understand has a tremendous impact, you know, it really suits everything. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you so much. Andy, I want to ask you, we talked about a bunch of stuff, 
when everything is so important, is there like um, something that you think it would be important for people who are going to listen to this to know or to take away from our conversation? Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel like a broken record because I think I end up turning back to the same core piece. And it's because it served me well. At the end of the day, the key piece for me has been that if I want to experience something in my own life, find a way to provide that in the lives of others. If I want to experience well-being, first focus on how I can add well-being to the lives of others. You know, you have a lot in common with Dr. Lindsay Godwin. Now I understand why yeah. she <laughs> suggested for me to talk to you. Yes. Oh, gosh. She's an incredible, incredible friend, mentor, supportive individual, and her curiosity is unbelievable. And I think it makes all those around her equally curious and excited about what could be. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me. I really love every minute of being here with you. This is wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was terrific. Thank you for listening to this episode of PD Party Over. Andy suggests that we cannot make sense of our lives until we gain a perspective from further down the road. In the present moment, it may be difficult to comprehend why things are unfolding the way they are. With time, we can connect the dots and see the bigger picture emerge. Perhaps enduring these hardships can help us find the light to guide others on their journey. Andy's experience shows that it's impossible to take away someone's pain or solve their problems. The best thing we can do when a loved one is struggling is to take care of ourselves and love them unconditionally through their journey. For Andy, adding value to the lives of others provides meaning, purpose, a sense of belonging and mattering. When we help others feel valued, we also validate our own worth. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or other topics related to leadership and management, please feel free to contact me via email or LinkedIn. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe to the PD Party Over podcast available on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms and apps. I invite you to browse our leadership and managerial development programs at align.company. Align is A-L-Y-G-N.company. Until next time, be well and thank you for listening.